0: Welcome to our podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I'm here with my co-host, Eric Johnson and Alicia Swami, and we are Exposing Mold. Today, we
1: are here with Jessica and Dakota. Hello, everyone. I'd love to introduce you to Home Cleanse, formerly known as All-American Restoration. They are the first and only remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Visit them at homecleanse.com. Hello everyone, Alicia here. One of the most common questions I receive from our audience members is this, who can I trust to perform a thorough mold inspection of my home? The Mold guy performs mold inspections specifically for individuals who require a much higher standard of care owing to your complex health concerns like CIRS, Lyme, CFS, autoimmune issues, and more. Their testing and inspection process supersedes all current industry standards on purpose, making them thought leaders and disruptors in an industry unwilling to change old and outdated paradigms. Book your complimentary phone consult here at themoldguyinc.com slash connect. That's themoldguyinc.com slash C-O-N-N-E-C-T. Jessica and Dakota are
0: from C4 Laboratories, which is... Why don't you tell us about C4 Laboratories?
2: C4 Laboratories is a cannabis testing laboratory based in Scottsdale, Arizona. We test everything that the Arizona Department of Health Services requires for compliant testing. And then we also do R&D testing for private growers as well. Like I said, we're fully compliant and fully in-house testing services for all of Arizona and then hemp from anywhere in the United States. For explaining that, I think... The topic
0: of testing hemp and cannabis products for mold contaminants is so important, especially to our audience, because these medicines have such neuroprotective effects and they help with oxidative stress, which is some of the presentation we see in our sick population. And also our population can have symptom flares from having contaminated CBD. There's sometimes where people will say, I took such and such hemp and CBD and it flared my lupus. Well, we see lupus presentations all the time as a presentation of mold illness. So it's like people don't even realize how many different health symptoms they can have that could be related to their contaminated medicines that they're trying to use. Jessica, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry?
2: Yeah, mine is a unique story in that my daughter has disabilities. She is 18 now, and when she was about nine years old, her seizures were pretty bad. She was having about four to seven seizures a day, and I wanted to look into alternative treatments for her. And her doctor was more interested in looking into brain surgery, and that's something my husband and I were not not up for at that point. And I had some friends talk to us about the possible benefits of CBD. So I started doing my own research. I found an amazing. documentary on CNN called Weed by Sanjay Gupta that sold me. I found a local mom on the news who was treating her son with CBD and reached out to her and through a series of events was able to meet up with the right people and get the right products and saw immediate benefit to Emma. And because of the progress she was making with her seizures, I decided I needed to really help educate other parents about the benefits of CBD in treating epilepsy. And from that, I helped start a nonprofit organization to help educate those other parents and to help raise money for the costs because it's so expensive. And that nonprofit kind of morphed into a position with a larger dispensary group in the outreach and education department where I got to still do the same thing, teach and educate patients of all kinds. And from that, I moved over to C4 Laboratories as the client outreach and educator. And from there, moved into manager and then director of operations. So it's been a journey and it's been an amazing journey, one that I am internally grateful for.
0: I always think it's so beautiful when somebody can take something that life has thrown at them and and turn it into to something that helps other people like you're doing with with your daughter's illness and and thank you thank you for sharing that dakota talk to us a little bit about your role and and what you do with c4 yeah
3: um you know it's a little difficult to follow what jessica just (laughs) just mentioned but you know i recently graduated uh, probably about five years ago now And, you know, kind of emphasizing on what you were talking about with potential contaminations and molds affecting people with things they already have, it really interested me. I know that cannabis in Arizona alone has recently been legalized. So that gave us the opportunity to start R&D and start figuring out all these issues that not a lot of the country could even start to do until the last few years. So that's kind of my passion, being able to help people with the industry and making sure that everyone's getting clean, the medicine that they can use to help them benefit their symptoms. And that's really been my passion with the company. I'm currently the project manager, but I started over as a lab technician. I worked in the microbiology department to get us accredited for aspergillus contamination, E. coli, and salmonella. Um, I dabble a little bit in the analytical side with residual solvents and helping with pesticides to make sure that everyone's getting clean and safe cannabis and CBD in the state of Arizona.
0: How often are you coming across contaminated cannabis? Like, Is it, is it a very frequent occurrence and Can you tell us what brands we can trust more or which ones to take away from? Well, unfortunately,
3: I can't tell you what brands we can trust more. But, you know, roughly towards the beginning, when we first started testing, there was a lot of contamination with most samples, truly. We could start with the microbial contamination, Aspergillus. In Arizona, we detect or test for four different strains. Towards the beginning, we did see a lot because the cultivators were still, they weren't that knowledgeable or familiar with a lot of these molds. And luckily, you know, they've been able to remediate a little bit more and work on fixing their problems with Aspergillus to start. That was probably, I'd say, in our laboratory, one of the most frequent things that we found in samples around the entire, I'd say, all of the analyses analyses in our laboratory.
2: I think it's safe to say Aspergillus, just because of the climate that we live in, is a little more frequent <laughs> than maybe some other climates. I mean, we're so dry and dusty and arid. And uh, so it's, it's not surprising.
0: Is that the only mold that's tested for in the products or are there other molds looked for?
3: Specifically in Arizona, it's my knowledge, just aspergillus, four different strains, and it is a pass fail. So we use a PCR. If it is detected, it's immediately, they have a few options. They can either remediate it if it's a flower or destroy it.
0: How are those standards standards set for your industry to say like, okay, this is how we're going to decide what to look for? Do you
2: have information on that? I think really when Arizona was looking at the rules for regulating cannabis testing, they looked to other states that have already done it. I believe we took a lot of our like pass fail levels from the organ standards that they have, and they also looked at California and Colorado to see what they were doing. And I think they they really just kind of looked at those states that had done it before us.
0: Well, it's nice to hear now that growers are maybe a little bit more accustomed with, or maybe more familiar with how to grow that they're preventing maybe mold growing on their plants. So at least there's a learning curve for there. sure.
1: Alicia, do you have any questions? Yeah, I'm just curious. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was really exciting for us. I don't know why out of the blue, I was just like, let's get some people on and talk about mold and cannabis because... I am seeing an explosion of articles constantly in the news of contamination of these plants in Colorado and just New Mexico and just everywhere. And I'm just curious, is what is the most popular contaminant that you guys are finding? Is it simply mold or is it pesticides? Is it other things? What, what is it that you're finding most of in these plants?
2: We are still finding aspergillus, but like Dakota said, you know, we, people are now kind of... Getting the getting the system down, they are, they're understanding what it takes to to make sure that their their plants are free from that contaminant. Pesticides are another one that we're finding a lot of. And what is interesting is that you know people might test flour with us, and there might be pesticides in that flour, but it's not enough. To, for us to fail them, it hasn't reached that limit. However, if they take that same flower and they make it concentrate, what it seems like the, the disconnect is that, well, when you're concentrating a flower and making it a concentrate, everything is concentrated from the cannabinoids to any of the contaminants that they found. So while the pesticides in that flower may have passed, once you make that into a concentrate, the pesticide levels are going to be concentrated and thus higher and probably fail.
1: Wow. So, what are what are companies doing to basically mitigate these issues? I mean, because crop loss means profit loss. So, I'm sure they've come up with new ideas on how to control all these issues.
3: You know, we don't have exactly jur- techniques. Jur- techniques or anything yeah. to give them. We, we don't have any say. We could say, "Hey, we we tested your sample. It came back with positive for Aspergillus," and we give them that. That's all we can do on our side. We don't have any jurisdiction to. We could give them recommendations and we try to, you know, we're willing to go out to environmental tests and help them find their solutions. But realistically, it's still up in their hands too.
2: There are ways to remediate sometimes, but yeah, sometimes it is just a profit loss. I, Dakota, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if there is mold found in flour, can they remediate, make it into a concentrate and eradicate that mold? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so there are options depending upon what the flower or what the product is and then what the contaminant is. One thing that I think is really interesting is that while we're testing these products and, you know, we have some clients that continue to pop for say Aspergillus. One service that we do offer is going into their grow facility, their production facility and doing environmental testing. And that includes surface testing, air samples. And just kind of like the nooks and crannies of their production facility. And a lot of times it's in like the air vents or the surfaces that they're not even thinking about They they might be cleaning with like, say just regular rubbing alcohol, but that's not strong enough to kill some of these spores. And so, so it's been really enlightening to us and then to the clients as well, to be able to go into their facility and help them kind of pinpoint where the source is?
1: Wow. So, how often are you seeing contamination from building versus just plants being contaminated?
2: That's hard to say because we don't have all of our clients utilizing these these services and doing the environmental testing that we hoped they would. It's something that we offer to everyone, but ultimately, it's up to them. It's unfortunate sometimes. I think some growers want to stick their head in the sand and say, "No, it's not me. It's it's not us. It's not our facility. It's just what was in the flower." And that's unfortunate. We, we just continue to educate others in hopes that they will really take into account what we're saying and trust our, our experience with the situation and utilize these services.
1: Thank you. I'm just really curious because I know some states have different laws where you can only grow indoors. I think Nevada is indoor only. Um, I, I know Oregon has a little bit more leniency where you can grow outdoors. I'm just really curious. I don't know if you know this, but I wanted to throw this question out there. Are you seeing contamination more from plants being grown indoors versus naturally outdoors?
2: Well, in Arizona, you know, we're obviously a very hot and arid climate. So growing outdoors doesn't happen often. We do have outdoor grows. It is allowed. It's up north of us. And it's only, I think, maybe two times in the year that really they have windows for growing opportunities. When we get the flower, we don't, we don't do anything different if it's done outdoor, if it's grown outdoor rather versus indoor. In fact, most of the time we don't even know. So it's hard to say, but I would say probably 80 or 90% of the flower that's grown in Arizona is indoor, but outdoor, I could definitely see more potential contamination, especially with aspergillus.
1: Yeah. I wonder, i because valley fever is such a big problem in Arizona, I wonder if like even that can contaminate the plants and, and cause issues. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm just dreaming things up here. Please forgive me if I'm if I may have missed this earlier in your guys' conversation with Keely, but so you guys are only focusing on ASPEN right now in your PCR testing, or do you test for other species as well?
3: Are in, in terms of aspergillus?
1: Yeah. So, in terms of your testing methodology, you're doing a PCR of Aspen. Is it, are you only culturing for Aspen or looking for Aspen, or do you have like a whole PCR list of maybe 30, 35 species that you're looking at for contamination in these crops?
3: So, specifically for Aspergillus, we're looking for four different species, just the name two off my head Fumigatus, Flavus. And then another step we can kind of discuss afterwards is including just aspergillus testing. We do mycotoxin testing to detect for aflatoxin, okra toxin, byproducts of these aspergillus per se. And then we do additional salmonella testing, E. coli testing, just like any other.
1: So like bacterial testing and everything. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. And so when you say that, you know, this farmer's had a bad batch, I mean, do you ever hear anything from the consumer side or is anyone calling you and saying, look, I... <laughs> I had a reaction, I want to send this for testing because I think this is contaminated and and this farmer may have harmed me. Are you seeing uh, a rise of that happening these days?
2: Not as much as we had. In the beginning, we definitely did. We'd have clients call us and say, this is like hurting my throat. I've never felt like this when I've tried this flower before. I know it passed. However, I want to check for myself. And so we definitely do. Like I said, we do R&D. So that would be kind of falling under the R&D umbrella of private consumers wanting to test their medicine. And so we have seen an uptick in that it's kind of leveled off now because I feel like cultivators, brands, growers, they are taking the rules seriously and actually making sure that everything is passing. And so it's, it's tapered off, fortunately.
1: Well, that's good. I mean, the whole industry is fairly new, right? Legalizing it and and processing all this stuff. And so everyone's trying to work out the kinks and figure out how do we do this? What's the best way? And how can we produce the most highest quality product, right?
2: Yeah. The crazy thing is, is that Arizona, we've had a medical market since 2010. and But we just started... We just passed the bill for, for testing, mandatory testing in 2020. So we were like 10 years, like literally the wild, wild west, like learning all these bad habits. And now all of a sudden, all, you know, these brands, they have to do these tests. They have to provide the COAs and everything. And it was messy. It was really messy in the beginning, but I feel like we've finally kind of found our groove. Everyone is understanding of what is expected of them. And for the most part, you know, abiding by the rules.
1: That's awesome. And since you brought up medical cannabis, I'm just curious, are there differences in quality between the two is like medical cannabis, like testing is more stringent. Like, is there a whole other different process versus recreational?
2: Yeah,
3: you want to yeah, do that? yeah. Uh, cannabis, you know, medicinal and recreational, they do have different regulations. For example,
2: so silly. <laughs>
3: we test Aspergillus for medicinal cannabis, but Aspergillus is actually not required by recreational in the state of Arizona, and that's that. That's a big one. Yeah,
2: that that's probably the biggest one, and it, it makes zero sense at, whatsoever. The good news is that we find that all of our clients really they just test for med- for the medical side because. If you test your products for the medical side, that can still be sold on the recreational side. However, if you are testing the recreational products, you can't sell recreational products to a medical patient. So they're they're doing their due diligence and just getting it medically tested so they can sell to both without having any concern. So it's fortunate in that way. It's unfortunate that it was written that way because it just, it makes zero sense, especially with like Aspergillus, like why wouldn't you have that mandated for, for every kind of testing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're akin to, and we're very curious of molds, like the trichothecene producers, like Fusarium and Stachy. And I mean, Keely, Eric, and I have been severely injured by Stachybotrys in our homes. And so I'm just wondering how often those type of molds are found in crops.
2: Unfortunately, because Arizona doesn't mandate like those specific strains, we don't know. No. specifically. Yeah, we, we, our micro team is great at what we do, but outside of, you know, those, those other strains that you mentioned, yeah. we don't have too much knowledge on it.
1: Yeah. I'm curious. So if you guys are going, so you're, so you're offering a few arms here, you're offering testing for plants, but you're also offering testing for environment. So, and those tests are varying and, I, and I'm assuming you are actually including those trichothecine producers in your environmental testing, correct or no?
3: Realistically, when, when a client comes to us, you know, they're asking us, why do we have this aspergillus problem? Why, why are you failing our samples? Basically, uh, we say, hey, listen, you know, we're detecting aspergillus here. We're more than willing to come out to your facility and do some environmental testing, specifically looking just for aspergillus in this case if they asked for it we would most definitely be able to in our facilities but for example we would you know do swabs in specific places air samples and kind of figure out where that source is coming from i personally have been on site at cultivation and you know done some air sampling and testing and found out that there was aspergillus in one of the corners growing in their facility and the flower wasn't actually testing presumptive positive itself but it was concentrates and it was from after it was grown because it was grown clean, but the aspergillus was finding its way onto the sample afterwards because we don't, we don't know how long they actually hold onto that flower, how long it sits in the dark, how long it's just, it's just there before they even test it or sell it to anyone.
1: Yeah. It's just so interesting because, you know, mold our co-host Eric, who's been in the mold game for 35 years, he'll always say that, you know, mold in buildings, it's like unheard of and making people sick. And all of a sudden it's like, we have this explosion. And I guess what a lot of people don't make that, make the connection to is like, a lot of people are getting injured by mold in their homes. Well, what about what's going on in industry? (laughs) Like I know a person who knows a person who works for a vaccine makers factory And they're having major microbial issues and they're having a major hard time trying to control the microbial issues within the vials themselves while they're producing these vaccines. So it's just like man it, it it's not just a home thing; it is a business thing, and business are also they're also having a really hard time controlling this problem that has just exploded within the last thirty years and I'm just curious and and Dakota, I don't know how long you've been in this game of testing, but in your experience, are you noticing just an increase of of i guess aspen or or mold issues?
3: It's been pretty steady, you know, especially in Arizona, we have all four biomes. So we're seeing every single thing possible when it comes to temperatures, times of day, anything you could think of. It's been pretty steady, but it has been, I'd say, in my opinion and, and, and knowledge and working at this company, it's been pretty elevated for mold in particular. That's like, you know, like we emphasized on before, that's one of the biggest things that clients fail when they test their samples with us.
1: I have a
0: If there was a company who wanted to test their products above and beyond what the current requirements are, is that something that you could work out with them? Like if we had a CBD that we wanted to test, but we wanted to look for other molds just for our own peace of mind and go above and beyond the requirement, is that, do you have like the, the equipment to help us with
3: that? Yeah. So, you know, our vision at C4 is, you know, we are under the assumption that eventually, you know, this is going to be federally legal, the testing and everything will be more strict. So we are always ready for stuff like that. And that includes, you know, we do do a lot of R&D. If a client comes to us with any issue, we want to help them solve it. If they want more molds, we're definitely going to be able to do that for them. R&D, internal validation, you know, we're willing to work, we're willing to learn, we want to help people and we want to make sure that we can do everything that they need to know so that they can get their safe product to people.
2: Yeah, practically speaking, it does take a little bit of time and extra money. It doesn't mean that we certainly wouldn't do it. Of course, we'll look into it, but it does require things that it's it's just not you can't just swab something and and look for a new strain of mold, but it's definitely something that we can talk to the client about, research, look into, see how much time and money it would take to to test for a different kind of mold than what we already test for but it's definitely we're always open to discussion on that It's possible yeah absolutely
0: well thank you so much for joining us both today
1: Kiwi severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health, And the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement from mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has first-hand experience dealing with mold exposure and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. To consult with Keely, please visit exposingmold.com That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. I guess if anyone listening today, any, I mean, we have such a varied audience. It's like professionals to, to patients, to just everyone. If anyone wanted to consult with your company, where can they reach out to you?
2: Absolutely. You can find us on the internet, www.c4lab.com. That is the letter C, the number for LAB as in boy.com. So you can find out a lot of information there. You can always reach out to us on the phone 480-219-6460. And alternatively, you can email myself or Dakota, Jessica at c4laboratories.com and dakota at c4laboratories.com.
1: Fantastic. Thank you guys. We're, we're interested in learning more from a grower too. I don't know if you can make any recommendations or or anything like that, but we'd be really open to maybe getting into the nitty gritty of growing and, and what they're doing to control their contamination. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. It was a great conversation with Jessica and Dakota. De- we were learning a little bit more about cannabis testing and we reached out basically because we're trying to figure out what the heck is going on with all this contamination everywhere. So they really provided us some great information to see what the industry is doing to control that and to provide better quality products for their patients and for the recreational users. So thank you again, everyone. We'll see you next time.